This is day 148 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Isaiah chapters 57 through 61. Lord Heavenly Father, you are the eternal God. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You have done all things for your good pleasure. We exist for your good pleasure. We don't exist for ourselves. But yet in light of all that, Lord, you still give us the ability to think for ourselves, to make decisions, and and just allow us to love you and your creation. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us into this world and allowing us to enjoy what you've made. May we recognize what has been made and recognize the hands that made it. May we point the world to you. May they understand that all things were made through you. They exist for your pleasure. May they glory you in the process. This this world is so dark, so lost. Lord, let us be light and salt as we go through our days. Please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The righteous man perishes, and no man takes it to heart. And devout men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds, each one who walks in his upright way. But come here, you sons of a sorceress, offspring of an adulterer and a prostitute. Against whom do you jest? Against whom do you open wide your mouth and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of rebellion? offspring of deceit, who inflame yourselves among the oaks, under every luxuriant tree, who slaughter the children in the ravines, under the clefts of the crags? Among the smooth stones of the ravine is your portion, they are your lot. Even to them you have poured out a drink offering, you have made a grain offering. Shall I relent concerning these things? Upon a high and lofty mountain you have made your bed. You also went up there to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost, you have set up your sign. Indeed, far removed from me, you have uncovered yourself, and have gone up and made your bed wide. And you have made an agreement for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You have looked on their manhood. You have journeyed to the king with oil and increased your perfumes. You have sent your envoys a great distance, and made them go down to Sheol. You were tired out by the length of your road, yet you did not say, It is hopeless. You found renewed strength, therefore you did not faint. Of whom were you worried and fearful when you lied and did not remember me, nor gave me a thought? Was I not silent even for a long time? so you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you, but the wind will carry all of them up, and a breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me will inherit the land, and will possess my holy mountain. And it will be said, Build up, Build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one, who lives forever, 
whose name is Holy. I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of those whom I have made. Because of the iniquity of this unjust gain, I was angry and struck him. I hid my face and was angry, and he went on turning away in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners. Creating the praise of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Cried loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day, and delight to know my ways. As a nation that has done righteousness, and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you found your desire, and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife, and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed, and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you, the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. And if you give yourself to the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins, 
you will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously, and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words? Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the street, and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now, the Lord saw and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. 
Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. A Redeemer will come to Zion, and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice. But the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. The multitude of camels will cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar will be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth will minister to you. They will go up with acceptance on my altar, and I shall glorify my glorious house. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like the doves to their lattices? Surely the coastlands will wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. Foreigners will build up your walls, and their kings will minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, and in my favor I have had compassion on you. Your gates will be open continually. They will not be closed day or night, so that men may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish, and the nations will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the box tree, and the cypress together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I shall make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you, and all those who despised you 
will bow themselves at the soles of your feet, and they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you an everlasting pride, a joy from generation to generation. You will also suck the milk of nations, and suck the breast of kings. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver, and instead of wood, bronze, and instead of stones, iron. And I will make peace your administrators, and righteousness your overseers. Violence will not be heard again in your land, nor devastation or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation, and your gates praise. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and for your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set nor will your moon wane. For you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. Then all your peoples will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan, and the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering. And I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them, because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed.
I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Okay, so today we have chapters that are contrasting each other. We're going to start off with some pretty negative ones, and then we're going to go into some glorious ones. So let's take a look more closely at it today. Chapter 57 is God showing how their idolatry has taken control of them, how their addiction to pleasures and to self-centeredness has caused them to be depraved. And this language reminds me of Romans chapter 1 very much, because he just describes all these ways that they are committing idolatry and child sacrifice and sexual immorality all over the place. So when we see the issues in the world today, all these perversions and all that, none of this is new. This has been going on since the beginning. If we recall, things were bad way before this time. There's a reason why God wiped out all humanity with the flood. There's a reason why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed in the way they were. It's because of this. It's because of the evil, sinful, immoral ways that man practices. The sin was so great that God could not hold off any longer. And so this is what he's describing here in chapter 57. But then when you get to verse 14, he starts to urge people to consider their ways and to repent. He calls for them to be humble and repentant, especially verse 15. See here, for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with, what is he looking for? The contrite and the lowly of spirit, the ones who have repented, the ones who are humbled in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Revive, that's a very strong word. It means to make alive again. So we are dead in our trespasses, right? So not only does he want to offer salvation to all, but he also, those that are his children already, tend to wander off, right? We get those times where we allow our sin to consume us, and we go off track. And he calls us back. He calls us to repentance and to humble ourselves in his presence. Our egos get so inflated sometimes that we push God out. And we cannot be doing that. Chapter 58 goes back to another empty practice. Beyond the idolatry, beyond the sexual immorality, here's another one that he is upset about. He's upset about the fake fasting. Verses 1 through 7, you see that most clearly. In the Jewish tradition, there was only one time that fasting was required. 
and that was on the Day of Atonement each year. But historically, after Jerusalem was destroyed, they instituted other fasting days that were beyond that. But the whole point that God is trying to make here is fasting is not a problem. Fasting is, can actually be a very good thing. Now, to my knowledge, there's nowhere in the Bible that commands us to fast. Fasting is not necessary for our salvation. However, it is a good thing to do every so often. We know that for dietary reasons, sometimes fasting is good, right? But also, what it causes us to do is to allow us to focus. It allows us to remember why we're doing this. Sometimes it's a demonstration of our seriousness. Now, let's be clear. We don't fast, and I've made this mistake before. We don't fast in order to try to get something out of God. God's going to work his sovereign will no matter what. However, if fasting leads you to prayer, and prayer leads you to humble spirit and communion with God, that's where things start to happen. It's a posture of heart, as it always has been. So that's what he's talking about here, is people go through the motions of fasting, but there's no heart content in it. Their hearts are not in it. They're just in it because that's what they're supposed to do. He doesn't like that stuff. Like he says in verse 6, Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness? To undo the bands of the yoke? And to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? He's like, look, isn't this why we fast? Isn't it to reduce and eliminate the wickedness in your heart? Isn't it allowing me room to work in you? This is what it's for, and yet that's not what you guys are doing. Instead, you're doing what's in verse 9. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. But he requires something from us. And this is with the heart he's wanting from us in the fasting. If you remove the yoke from your midst, well, what kind of yoke? What kind of oppression are we talking about here? Well, the oppression we're giving to each other. The oppression we're giving to ourselves by living in our sins. But then not only that, he also mentions the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. What comes to mind when you think of pointing the finger? Isn't that placing blame on people? Living in an attitude of contempt? You know, looking at the faults of others, but not looking at your own faults? Speaking wickedness? You know, speaking evil against people? Gossiping? I mean, all those things fall into, under this category. He says you have to give something up if you want to fast properly. You have to give up yourself. You have to give up your stupidity. You have to give up your evil ways. Pursue righteousness instead of this. That's what he's looking for. And if we do that, what does the Lord say he'll do? Verse 11. And the Lord will continually guide you if you humble yourselves and you repent. The Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. What does it mean that he will satisfy your desire in scorched places? When the heat is on, when the pressure is on, when the stresses of the world are on, and there is oppression against you, then you will still be satisfied. 
and he will give strength to your bones. You'll be, be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. What is the significance of a watered garden? When you think of a garden, why is a water garden a preferred kind of garden? Well, because a water garden is constantly being fed the life-giving water, right? So it causes the plants to grow and they will thrive. So why do we not give ourselves our water every day? The Word of God. The Word of God is our water. And the food that we need is the Spirit of God Himself in the prayer and in the worship of Him. We need that in order to survive. We need it. We don't recognize all the time that we need it, but we need it. And if we do that, we will be well watered, which means when the heat is on, we're not going to wither, we're not going to fade away, and we're not going to get wiped out because we trust in the Lord and He will get us through it. He promises that. While almost all of this is His work in your life, your job is fairly simple. Live in obedience to God and trust that He will take care of you. It should really be that simple. Chapter 59 is a chapter that is mostly about the nature of sin here. And this is a very important chapter to recognize. So we read in verse 1, before he goes into describing Israel's sins for the next few verses, he mentions this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. It's not like anybody is beyond God's reach. Nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. It's not that he doesn't hear your prayers. If you are praying to him and he does not respond, really have to examine yourself. Why are you praying and what motives are you praying with? Verse 2, this is why. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. If we're being completely literal, he does hear, but he has chosen to ignore it. Because if God is all-knowing, then obviously he can't, if he says he doesn't hear, then obviously that's not, we don't need to take that literally. He hears, but he will not respond. It is not the way that he has desired it. So what he's saying here is, I can answer your prayers. I can deliver you. But you're the problem. Your sin is getting in the way. And that separation is a very interesting understanding because that is exactly why Jesus came into the world. There was and is a separation between us and God. A great chasm that we cannot cross on our own. And so the only one who could bridge that gap for us was Jesus Christ, the one who mediates for us, who is our advocate before the Father. But this is also referring to just the heart we should have in, in God's presence. You cannot be double-minded. You cannot live in the world and enjoy the world, and you cannot worship God at the same time. It's not possible. Read 1 John. 1 John talks about that in such great lengths. If you love the world, you cannot love God because the world hates God. And God hates sin. They are enemies. 
Therefore, if you love the world, you are God's enemy. You don't want to be God's enemy. It is not going to end well for you. Beginning in verse 9, he starts going through what Israel has done, and it's almost as if they're confessing here. They're confessing to the Lord what has been the root problem in, in the nation of Israel. And then we see in verse 16 that he has heard them, and he plans to blot out their sins. Like it says in verse 20, a redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. And then he says some beautiful words here. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit, which is upon you, and my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, now and forever. So he still considers the nation of Israel his special people. But this is also in relation to the Messiah. And when he puts his spirit upon us, he's not removing that spirit ever again. That is the pledge of salvation in our lives. Chapter 60 is referring to the glory of Israel in the millennial kingdom. But verse 1 is a very important verse when it comes to Jesus being the light of the world. And this is referenced all over the place in the Bible. The light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So this light is the glory of God. And they were just talking about a Redeemer. It's all connected. You have to read the context in order to get the full understanding. The Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. And Jesus Christ was the glory of God in the physical sense. He has come. He will come again. Now, in verse 3, it says, Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Not We're not quite there yet. That's why this is more millennial kingdom related here. Well, you just see blessing after blessing after blessing of what's going to describe the prosperity of the new Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom. And then this is also another fulfillment of that because you see in verse 19, which is also illustrated in Revelation, no longer will you have the sun for light, nor will you have the moon at night, but the Lord will be your light and the God will be your glory. And it literally says that's what's going to happen at the end, is that there will be no more night. But the Lord, his glory will be the, the new sun. There will be no more sun. The only sun that we need is S-O-N, not S-U-N, because the glory of God will be the light of the entire universe. And then finally, chapter 61 is a declaration of the Messiah and his ministry of peace. If you happen to read the first couple of verses here and they sound familiar to you, that is because someone else has said it later on. If you've read the book of Luke, chapter 4, this is when Jesus went to the synagogue and he opened up the scroll of Isaiah in front of all the people at that synagogue, and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. And he goes on and on. And then he doesn't finish this scripture. And he does that on purpose. 
he goes up to the point in verse 2 where it says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and he stops there. Why? Is there significance to this? Absolutely there is. Because the first time he came, he came to do exactly as he said, to bring good news, the gospel, salvation available to all, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. But what does the other half of verse 2 say? And the day of vengeance of our God. That's the day of judgment. So this other half isn't going to be fulfilled until he has returned. And I like how he said it as well in the book of Luke, where it says he read up to that point, he closed the scroll and said, I just fulfilled this right now. <laughs> like a boss, he did that. And so I thought it was just funny how he did that. And the whole church was like, oh, wow, that's cool. But they didn't really understand what he was getting at. This is why he didn't finish that portion of Scripture because the rest of it would not be fulfilled until he came the second time, and as that would be as a judge and as a warrior. So we see the Messiah doing these things, and then you see throughout the majority of this chapter, you see what the millennial kingdom is going to look like, as well as some things that God wants to set clear about what his expectations are, things that he loves and things that he hates. First of all, he calls us priests of the Lord, that we will be ministers to him, and that's exactly what we are. And that's why we're called the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. Verse 8, I, the Lord, love justice. He loves justice, I mean, and he explains why. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That is exactly what it is when we are transformed into not only our glorified body, but even as the new creature we are in Christ. When the Holy Spirit changes us, changes our nature, changes our allegiance. All of that describes our glory that is in the Lord. May God be the glory today for all that he's done in our lives. He chose us for some reason, and I'm just glad to be here. I feel like I actually have a purpose now, and it's beautiful to have. May he receive all the glory from it. And that will be it for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.